This is the New Zealand Young Professionals Podcast, brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. Now please welcome your host, Ed McKnight. Hello and welcome along to the New Zealand Young Professionals Podcast. I am your host, Ed McKnight, and today in the studio we're here with Ali Strang. Ali, how are you going today? Pretty good, thank you. Oh, fantastic. And for all the listeners at home, Ali is the new editor at Idealogue magazine. It's only been about a couple of months, hasn't it, Ali? Yeah, it's very early days. Um, I started in January, actually. <laughs> fantastic. I almost think you probably are the youngest editor of a magazine in the country. Can we give you that title? I don't have that title. Um, my co-worker Erin at Stop First Marketing has that title. I think she's 22. Ooh. So she's got one, one or two years less on me. Though, to be fair, <laughs> Stop Press, as much as I, I, lo- I love that publication, it's it's not a magazine, I guess. They, they don't oh, print anything, right? Or they've got they their marketing with? magazine. So that's sub- completely subscriber-based, but it goes to the marketing industry, yeah. Oh, I thought that was a separate magazine. No, they're the same brand, yeah. Oh, so does Erin Ira- Ira- um, does that as well? Yeah. 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 Did you know, this is way off topic, um, everybody at home as well, but did you know that you can subscribe to all of these magazines for free through the Auckland, Auckland Live? libraries oh wow did even you know I that did, I, even i didn't know that <laughs> Do you, i i didn't realize this but i've been getting really into auckland libraries and they're not even paying me to say this um but you can download pretty much any book for free from auckland libraries if you download their overdrive app and it's the same i i was with a client the other day and they showed me that if you download this specific it's called like rb digital you can hook up your auckland libraries account and download both Idealog and marketing magazine for free genius now that's probably i hope i haven't just <laughs> killed your subscriber I know (laughs) thanks a lot no it's alright well you still get the ads so I guess you're still getting the impressions for for your advertisers does that count I, I think so I think it counts and the more eyeballs, the better, really. So yeah. I guess so. And I suppose if you're cheap like me, then I might not be subscribing. They already do have a <laughs> subscription. I just can never find my magazines. Oh, yeah, that's right. We really need to sort that out for you. Hey? No, no, to be fair, the, just for everybody at home, I um, I was sure that I'd like subscribe to Idealog. And then like two two weeks later, I got this um, the this notification being like, oh, you, you your subscription's about to lapse. And I was like, oh, hell no. And I think um, Ali's boss there, kind Finally sorted it out for me, which was yeah, nice. I, I think we sorted that for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, for everybody at home who doesn't know, what is Idealog Magazine? Um, so basically we have a focus on creative business so we are a business magazine but um, we try to be a very interesting one so we cover um, mainly workplace design tech and innovation um, and we have three magazines that go out a year as well as a website that we do on the daily yeah, and it's a great, it's actually a really good magazine. Like, I, I don't mean to sound like surprised, but like I actually I actually read the read this stuff, and I'm always impressed by like how much is going on in New Zealand in terms of like creative business. Um, every time the magazine comes out, and I'm like, wow, there's like a lot going on. Yeah, I I think what we try to do is have our ear to the ground for those innovators and their stories you wouldn't necessarily hear anywhere else, but we've managed to pick up on them and find them, which is our strength. Yeah, and so what we thought we'd do, um, just to start it off, I, I meant to bring back my Wheel of Fortune, which hasn't been seen since the the episode with uh, the now former Prime Minister, Bill English, where we uh, used it for the political series. And I was meant to bring it in today so that we could uh, spin the wheel and go through some of Ali's articles to give you a flavour for our ideologue and kind of talk about what's happening in terms of innovation in New Zealand. But I was running out the door of home and I forgot it. I'm sorry, Ali. I know. 
I'm so disappointed. I know. I'm disappointed <laughs> for myself and for you. I thought we were doing part podcast, part game show. So I was really excited for this. Well, the whole reason was that behind it was I wanted to bring in some sort of like unplanned part to the podcast. And then it just turned out that the whole podcast became unplanned. <laughs> <laughs> it became a disaster. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't quite call it a disaster. Thank Not you, yet. Ali. Not yet. <laughs> well, we'll see how it goes. So I have a list of 12 of Ali's most recently published articles. And we thought that they're such interesting topics that we'd pick a random number and kind of talk about what the story was and, and just start go off on a bit of a tangent about them. So I'm going to get you, Ellie, to choose a number from 1 to 12. I'm going to pick 11 because it's my lucky number. You're going to pick 11. Oh, this was the really interesting one about uh, rammed earth buildings. Oh. Do you remember that article? You did write it. I did write it, but that one is <laughs> actually a little bit vague, not going to lie. I'm going to copy this into my um, my safari so that you can have a quick reminder of it. But what it was about was a new way of, that was the wrong link, a new way <laughs> of building, creating walls and buildings where they get a mixture of sand, dirt and stone, pack it together and um, they make a wall out of it by compressing yeah. all of these materials together. Yeah. And this is like, it's an ancient technique that they used to use in order to construct buildings like if you think about all of the picture Egypt in your mind or like all those kind of <laughs> ancient cities with really thick walls that just look like compressed dirt mm. that's basically what these um, the, the, the rammed dirt walls were or the rammed buildings here we go rammed earth buildings is what they're called how do you not remember your own article that you wrote? <laughs> I write so many stories that sometimes it just becomes all a bit of a blur. This is the, this is the one recap. here. I'm actually really impressed okay. with how with how cool these buildings are as well. They're really aesthetically pleasing, aren't they? Well, the idea is that it's meant to um, it's meant to keep the house insulated, even without um, without additional insulation. So these are yeah. solid walls, as opposed to like the kind of timber ones we have that we then pack with insulation. Yeah, exactly. And obviously, New Zealand has quite a um, leaky home issue. So this is kind of being discussed as one of the ways to combat that. So it's kind of going back to basics. Um, it's a very yeah olden technique way of building walls but it is meant to be extremely like eco-friendly and keep the heat in while keeping the cold out as well. And I remember reading in that that they were talking about how there are new standards coming in for rental um, properties yeah. uh, about how rental properties with new legislation will need to meet a certain standard of heating and insulation and that this is another way to go about doing that without needing to put in additional insulation if you build your house like this from the start and you don't need additional heat pumps so you're kind of solving that without without needing that extra cost do you do you know how um the the cost of building a what is it rammed earth wall house compares to a kind of standard yeah i think it's it's a little bit more of an investment definitely but um if you have the means to do so i think it's an investment that definitely pays off so i mean the fact that um a rammed earth building won the world architecture festival's building of the year award last year i mean that's kind of a big deal so i think we can expect to see a bit more of these kind of buildings coming through 
And did you manage to um, get in a couple while you were researching the article? <laughs> no, I haven't actually been in a rammed earth building myself. But okay, like okay. I kind of forgive you then for forgetting <laughs> exactly what one is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But no, it's a, it's a very cool um, design trend that's popped up. So I think we can expect to see more on it. Yeah, and it'd be interesting as well to... Uh, I, was, I remember reading the article and being like... I wonder how it compares with light uh, in terms of light because when you're um, in a rammed earth, build, uh, rammed earth building, it appears that the walls are significantly thicker. Yeah, I think so, yeah. But, um, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I'm, like, trying to re- reprocess this story in my mind. But it yeah, was a great go. story, everybody. We're going to include that in the show notes. Can you pass me back my laptop and I'll, we'll yeah, get on to the... Uh, on to the next one. So I'm going to get you to pick another number that right. is not 11. Can we go six? We most certainly can. Oh, this was an interesting one and one that's very topical. Do you yeah. remember the story you wrote about Biz Dojo? Yes, yes. Oh, it's very unfortunate. Do you want to just summarize it for everybody at home? Um, yeah, so basically uh, Biz Dojo is a co-working space provider um, and recently they had uh, um, one of their subsidiary companies, Biz Dojo Auckland, go into liquidation and then around the same time they got bought out by a um, big workforce a global workspace company. So um, it was kind of a bit of good news, bit of bad news all mixed in together. Um, but I think it was a really great story because um, the thing about Jonah and Nick, the co-founders of Biz Dojo, is they're always very upfront and honest. And um, basically they were like, yeah, we screwed up. We grew a little too fast. But um, at the same time, that rapid expansion led to us being bought out by a global company. So kind of in the scheme of things it paid off but yeah, it's a bit chicken and egg in that situation exactly yeah because the other thing that it mentioned was the reason that um, the, their subsidiary Biz Dojo Auckland had to go into liquidation was that they um they were expecting capital to come in from an mm. investor based in Hong Kong, but then with some fluctuations in the capital markets, that investor ended up pulling out, and so they didn't have the cash flow to be able to pay these bills that they were ex- that they had to pay. That they were they already had plans in place that were going yeah. ahead, but because that fell through and something else fell through and something else fell through, it all kind of kind of fell through in that case and yeah. had to go into voluntary receivership. Yeah, and I, I guess it's a case of um, what Jonah was saying is uh, entrepreneurs are always kind of glass half full people, so they always are like, oh no, we'll, we'll sort it out, we'll find a way. Um, yeah. Always trying to be optimistic, but then sometimes reality does come crashing down and you actually can't innovate through your problems. So yeah, it's, it's a really good tale of um, growth and expansion, but also failure, which I think businesses should be more upfront about and not just uh, only celebrate their their um, highlights. Well, they're an interesting company as well, because I remember late last year, I think, I can't remember which of the founders it was, but they came out talking about, and we had a conversation with it about this, yeah. I remember back in November, yeah. um, about they were having uh, men- mental health challenges I guess Mm. um, about trying to grow this company and going through rapid expansion and then still not necessarily being totally fulfilled was that kind of the basis of what was going on last year yeah well um they they actually said luckily we are quite transparent and um have a focus on mental health because that was one of the hardest years they've ever been through um last year uh, with everything that was happening but because they've kind of always had a focus on that within their business and helping um people they work with and people who are in their co-working space I guess they were able to work through those challenges better. 
but yeah I, I love what they do and the fact that they really champion um, good mental health I mean there's the whole um, idea of the hero entrepreneur that um, grinds and works ridiculous hour weeks and doesn't show any signs mm-hmm. of weakness but actually that's not really sustainable and we see that with like all the mental health statistics that are coming out yeah I'd even go, go so far as to say if you're trying to work an 80 hour week you, you just know that those additional hours aren't as productive no no you won't be doing any productive work in those extra hours I know it's like when you try you know when you try and watch Netflix and work at the same time (laughs) and the amount of work you got done was probably about a quarter than if Netflix wasn't there you know do do you ever do that I've never actually attempted that but I'm interested to try because I can't multitask very well at all like don't try it it's not it's not even worth it it's a complete waste of time exactly I mean unless you're doing something that's really kind of manual and you kind of just want your brain to clock out but I suppose with reading yeah uh, sorry reading and writing which mm-hmm. I imagine most of your day is is taken up with yeah. then try and watch Netflix at the same time it would just not work and the, maybe you'd <laughs> get like a slightly like Frank Underwood t- kind of tone coming I know through that in your vi- writing yeah that vibe would probably come through into your story it might be a little bit ominous that might be good well uh, yeah. the, <laughs> I'll the, go the to mini writing stars of Ellie Strang yeah. well I tell you what I've been um, I've been re-watching House of Cards yeah. the, the first couple of series oh they're good everybody should go back and watch them because there's so much that you miss out on yeah you know I think so my friend rates Lucifer at the moment but I haven't quite started that have you oh that no I haven't heard about Lucifer tell it's, me about that it's I it's, so he's basically like the devil <laughs> so he um, can go and kind of ask people what is your deepest darkest desire and then he uses that to manipulate them and get by in life so it's quite interesting apparently quite scandalous oh very scandalous yeah. almost as scandalous as some of the uh, some of the stories in Ideologue yeah <laughs> not quite <laughs> well, oh what which one's not quite as which oh I don't know I'd say the most scandalous ones are where we report on liquidations and stuff like that which probably isn't everyone's idea of scandalous yeah well I suppose it's it's a bit of a sad reality, yes, you know. So yes. even an example with the Biz Dojo, um, you know, they were left owing, I think, about three hundred and fifty k to um, ATED, yep. the, the Auckland's Economic Development Agency. And if you think of it, it's it's a, a bit sad in a couple of ways. A because it was a business fail a fa- failed that provided jobs to people, mm. but also the because the money was left owing to what is essentially a public entity, we all lost out on that on that yeah. extra revenue. Yeah. That was the thing, the tax made taxpayer money involved yeah. yeah and it's only like 20 cents per person living in Auckland but I <laughs> yeah. suppose you know it all it all adds up um, and so it's sad in many ways you know yeah it is a little bit yeah, yeah. it's a bit like oh I kept on reading about when Nosh went under did I you know, read about that that was actually really sad yeah yeah well Nosh, Nosh was not a very good supermarket I'm just going to put it out there <laughs> sassy yeah I guess Faro oh. Faro does do it better let's be honest let's oh my gosh we should, the, next article, <laughs> the next article you write should be um, who did it better and like yeah. analyzing the different competition are you turning our dialogue into like a gossip column <laughs> I'd be down for that Z yeah. versus BP who did it better yeah. who wore it better who did it better I don't know well have you seen that Z's getting really into innovation as well yeah um, particularly I I live around that Green Lane area and I've, every time I drive past Z Green Lane I see they've got this like innovation lane and I have no idea how this lane is actually Wait, different like a street 
no, it's not like a, like Innovation Street, <laughs> but no, like, you know how you have a petrol pump plant? Ah, uh, okay, yeah, yeah. And I've got, like, big sign that's, like, innovation in progress. Like, this is the innovation lane. And I'm like, yeah. I want to drive through it just so I know, like, what yeah, innovation we're Yeah, what is actually happening about. here? Like, yeah. because it looks exactly the same. I'm like... Is this like a marketing ploy? Yeah, you'll have to report back and tell us what happened. I will. Maybe I maybe I should like should be a sub journalism. Yeah. Well, I always thought it'd be a bit of fun, you know, getting into journalism. Um, you know, you know, writing about stuff and kind mm-hmm. of investigating and being like, yeah, I'm at the forefront of um, <laughs> of kind of. Um, you should go around debunking, debunking companies that use the word innovation. Are they actually innovative? Oh because God. it's such a buzzword, you know? Well, what does innovation mean to you? Because, of course, Ideologue's the innovation magazine. So yeah. how do you define it? Oh, it's such a hard one to define, but I guess just general like creativity, thinking outside the box, doing something a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of number eight wire mentality, which is kind of, I guess, rule-breaking, like we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Mm. Well, it's interesting as well that you bring up Number Eight Why because there have been two really interesting books that have come out about uh, New Zealand business. Number Number Eight Recharged, I think, was the first. Yeah. No, Number Eight Rewired, and then Number Eight Recharged that came out. The second Recharge just came out uh, late last year, which I think Idealogue are giving some of those away at the moment. Hey, yeah. So is if, that still happening? I think so. Yeah. So if you um, donate to us on Press Patreon, yeah. so give us a little yeah. bit of money each month to support yeah. our ongoing editorial minimum things. of five dollars, right? Yeah, yeah. Then you get sent out a free book. Free Do you want to hear something so cheeky? What? Because <laughs> I know that the book. Uh, recommended retail price is $45. They sell it for yep. 55 on their website. God, I've really researched this. Yeah, I know. You've gone into And Idealog, minimum contribution, $5. So I was like, maybe I should. And you get a free subscription yeah, to Idealog. Yeah, and you get a free mag subscription. And so, so I was like, maybe I should just cancel my Idealog subscription. Do it that way. Give you $5.01 a month. <laughs> and then get my free book and get my subscription. I was like, yes. That's then, very sneaky, but I'll I was like, support over, you in that. I was like, over a year, I'd probably like... It's the same amount of money, if not, I'd save money. And I was like, oh, plus you feel good. You're like, yeah, I'm a patron of Idealogue. Yeah. Help keep that website alive. <laughs> I reckon you should do it. I feel so terrible about that. Whatever, you probably wouldn't send me the book then. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, be no, like, you nah, get a taste, buddy. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and it's interesting that you should um, be, we should be talking about innovation and journalism because the journalist is a market or the news market in New Zealand, if I can call it that, is kind kind of really rapidly changing at mm. the moment you know we've got yeah. new um new media organizations like spin-off and newsroom popping up and who appear to be doing incredibly well in a very short period of time yeah. um while we're so having all these new competitors pop up in the um in that market and at the same time we're trying to see consolidation between stuff and NZME so those guys want to merge and then we've got all of these small players um, popping up and growing really really rapidly and it's kind of like it yeah. almost seems there's a lot of uncertainty and volatility in, um, in, in the news and journalism market. I'm not sure if um, yeah. oh, you guys no. are feeling that. No, definitely. Journalism is, I guess, quite shaky territory. But I think it's more that journalism is being disrupted drastically. So everything I kind of got taught in university, I don't know like 
how useful it is. Like definitely the whole um, story writing formula is of mm-hmm. huge use, but um, all these new mediums, um, social media, video, podcasts, all these kinds of things, we didn't necessarily have a focus on. And they're kind of how you're succeeding in the market now. Like for example, at Idealog now, we kind of don't view ourselves as a magazine. We view ourselves as almost like a creative agency. So we've got our print um, publication but we also have a website we have social media we produce videos podcasts we're even producing our own kind of products Um, we've got the blunt umbrella competition so uh, we ask designers to submit a design um, to go on a limited edition umbrella for blunt and it will be sold and they'll get a cut of the commission Um, there's a few other submit the idea yeah so we've got to like nail it down to about five finalists and then do some voting on that but, um, and we also had the augmented reality cover last year. Um, so it's always, yeah, just thinking outside the box and trying new things. And it's very much not traditional print anymore. Like there's a lot more going on than meets the eye. And do you expect that your way of monetizing the magazine will be increasingly through coming up with new products and then trying to use your existing distribution channels in order to, um, to, to stay financially viable? Yeah. Um, and I think just collaborating with open-minded uh, companies that want to do, try something new and do something a bit different is um, absolutely vital because everyone's kind of sick of the traditional advertising model of just like print ads. Like nobody wants to do that anymore. They want to be <clears throat> creating umbrellas, for example, or like getting involved with a, a cover that's got augmented reality on it. Like that's the way it's going. Okay, because how how is um if I'm allowed to ask this, uh, are you finding that advertisers are drop dropping off from the print side and only want to be involved in that kind of more sponsor sponsorship side? Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. That's the way it's heading. I mean, if you look across the board at print, um, traditional ads probably are nowhere near as popular as they used to be. Um, and you're seeing the rise of sponsored content. So you'll collaborate with a company and they'll pay for the piece, but you'll kind of guide it with your editorial judgment. So you've got that. And then you've also got companies that just kind of want to attach their name and be involved with a, um interesting topic. So for example, Kiwi Bank um, sponsored a climate week on Idealog the other week, which we just covered um, companies that are kind of fighting climate change in New Zealand mm-hmm. through their own kind of innovative ways, which was really cool. You all, I even had some of those articles in there. The cricket flower one was under <laughs> that was under the Kiwi Bank yeah, um, climate week. Yeah, that's such an, an interesting kind of. Um, company where it just just for everybody at home there's this massive wave of people using insects as a substitute for normal meat if i if i can call it normal meat yeah well yeah i mean or apparently a protein some, source yeah I and say. some insects have a ridiculous amount of protein compared to your average meat so that blew my mind I was yeah like, i saw oh, that okay. crickets were like 68 percent and chickens like 21 percent. i know i know it's it's crazy so that could be an alternative way of like moving into the future um, mm-hmm. becoming less reliable on meat and dairy and that kind of thing and having more of an environmentally friendly focus I guess. and I guess because it's really surprising about how much water uh, it takes to create like a kilo of beef or it's mainly it's mainly beef and uh, lamb that takes a, a hell of a lot of of water and grass and land mm. space in order to create that kilo of meat compared to a kilo of cricket flour or a kilo of plant matter you know? yeah I think it was um 
was it Richard Branson that said in like 30 years time none of the meat we'll be eating will be um, produced naturally like it will all be produced in lab or we'll have plant based alternatives which is quite crazy mm-hmm. so what was more interesting in the article that I was really surprised at was that you know because we've talked about that I'm vegan myself um, not necessarily for, for environmental reasons um but that there are a lot of vegetarians who will eat cricket flour because, um, <laughs> and their kind of justification, even though like, uh, in, like first yeah. of all, uh, insects, animals, like I, they that's are, right? The, that's the tricky line to draw. I did ask um, crawlers that and they said technically no. So it's not technically vegan. They're technically counted as like a creature. But I mean, you've got to allow some leeway. <laughs> yeah, it, it depends. It, it's like... I just thought it was really interesting that if somebody was eating it like vegetarian that they'd then go and eat like cricket flour. I remember being at the, I don't know, some sort of like healthy foods expo at ASB, um, ASB stadium up here and like there being cricket flour and I was like I don't want to eat no cricket flour but I mean I mean from the, from the kind of vegan side if I, if I, if I ate meat I wouldn't care you know because that'd be yeah. interesting they're doing like chocolate chocolate covered crickets yeah so they've got one side that's kind of like more cooking like everyday sort of use and then they've got the other side which is like I guess products and gifts so you mm-hmm. can get like a chocolate coated tarantula to give to someone for their birthday oh there you if go if they're into that would you be into that would you do the, the I, chocolate tarantula I think I'd take a bite I think I'd dare enough to take a give bite give it a what go about you? new valentine's day idea you know <laughs> that I, you know at least you'd remember it it's definitely a memorable gift that's for sure I know as soon as somebody says you know what do you get for valentine's day you say I've got a chocolate covered tarantula well that's thinking outside the box that's innovation right there <laughs> that is innovation <laughs> you know and it's interesting hearing you say getting back to the journalism side um, that you're thinking of Idealog more of a creative agency rather than a print publication are there any other ways that we're seeing that that kind of agency side come through um what, what do you mean, sorry? Well, what I, what I mean by that is because um, uh, apart from the, this podcast around our little agency um, based in the, the web space hatch, um, and it's really interesting to kind of be like, oh, Ideologues a creative agency. Is that because you're working with um, brands to kind of suggest ways that they are able to reach your audience in creative yeah. ways as, as opposed to just putting out a print ad? Is that yeah. the kind of it's, logic it's, behind it? It's looking at content and having like a lot of different options to work with rather than just saying, hey, do you want to go in the magazine? We're like, hey, do you want um, this form of technology to have, have an experiment with this? Or do you want mm-hmm. to do a video series around this? You know, so it's it's just kind of expanding their options um, and offering for that audience at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I always thought that Image Centre group, which Tangible Media, so Tangible Media owns Idealog and Tangible is owned by ICG, ICG Image yeah. Centre Group, just for everybody at home. <laughs> but the th- interesting thing about Image Centre Group is that it's a mixture of kind of 10 different organisations put together. Mm. And I've always thought of it as like a big, long supply chain. So I think within ICG, you've got another creative agency and you've got yeah. a digital agency and you've got a video agency. Plus you've got like big format print, I think. Yeah, we've got printing as well. So we do like car um, wrapping and massive billboards and that kind of thing. And then that goes right through to... Um, I suppose 
advertising in each of the individual magazines and it's like one big value chain does it kind of operate like that internally where I imagine a client can start right at the beginning with the idea generation Mm -hmm. and then move right through to placing their print ads within the same company yeah often we'll have a client come in that starts with the magazine for example and then next minute they're getting um, yeah like shop decals uh, printed or something like that so yeah there's definitely a bit of cross pollination going on and that's what we can offer kind of as a, as a strength yeah, yeah. I, was, I was very impressed with it when I was looking at it a couple of years ago I was like these guys have really thought about it yeah and did I I think I mentioned before that I caught up with um Michael Hutchison a couple a couple of weeks ago who's oh, a director yeah, at ICG yeah. the only reason I mention it speaking about innovation is Michael Hutchison now runs a, a course or is an adjunct professor at AUT and mm-hmm. have you seen his app no, I haven't. Actually. So he's got he's made this cool app. I've quickly got it on here. Everybody should go look at it. It's um, Practical Innovation, I think is the, the app title. And he's got all these different types of things you need in innovation, but based on a... Oh, the um, elements table. Oh, yeah, on a periodic... Um, elements table yeah and it's really interesting going through and looking at each of the different elements of it um you call them elements right yeah you call it ele- you call elements it. on a periodic Science table wasn't my strong point but no it wasn't it. <laughs> you know it definitely wasn't my strong point either but um it, it's it's been a really interesting read kind of looking mm. at another way of thinking or approaching uh, innovation i just think if anybody's interested to head to um on the app store and download i think it's practical uh innovation is what it's called under aut and just look out for michael hutchison because it's actually been a really interesting read over the last couple of days digging into it yeah and it's good to have some guidelines around such a kind of vast topic like innovation you know like how do you actually innovate is there mm-hmm. any like step-by-step formula you can follow or tips or things like that mm-hmm. well what do you think is there a step-by-step formula? We actually did a um, feature on this and we did figure Ooh. out a seven-step formula. So if you search, um, I think it's how to innovate Ideologue online, you'll be able to find a series on it, which should be a good helping little guideline. Well, that's interesting <laughs> when, when we compare that kind of like step-by-step structure yeah. to what we were talking about just before we came on the air, which was around uh, a Q&A you did with, uh, I think it was Ken Robinson, yeah. uh, who is one of the most... Uh, watched TED, TED speakers has, yeah. of all time. Can I think we give he has the title? title for the most watched TED talker of all time, which was a little bit intimidating getting on the phone yeah. with someone like that. Yeah. That's cool. That's something that your mum would be very, very proud of. Well, he was the first sir I've ever talked to in my life. So I was like, this is pretty cool. Oh, what what did he get a sir for? What did he get knighted for? Is, that, uh, is how you might ask for about it. His services to education in Britain. So um, mm-hmm. he's done a lot of work with the government to I guess get his ideas across around creativity and following less of kind of a rigid structure around hard subjects soft subjects so science math um, music arts kind of thing yeah and w- his idea if I've got it right was that this focus on testing and the hard subjects is uh, is taking away from creativity yeah well he said we kind of um, settled on this formula because of the industrial revolution and these were the kind of skills required to get jobs I guess through the 1900s but basically now the world is is a bit crazy and nobody kind of knows what's going to happen in the future with a lot of job prospects so 
he's saying uh, these skills that you learn in music and um, art and that kind of thing are actually really, really useful for um, cultivating creativity. And we need to have just as much of a focus on that as we do with the hard subjects, so maths and science. Yeah, because I think the thing that is really interesting is that when you're looking for your first job, the hard skills are actually quite necessary in order yeah. to just get the t- to have the technical competency to be able to complete whatever your first job is and I often see that people with arts degrees struggle to get that first rung on the ladder but mm-hmm. once you get that, after that the creativity that music and arts teach you is so useful in being able to keep going, going up that ladder after you've got your kind of technical competency at a baseline yeah, but you kind of see, you do see those subjects being shunned as like less serious as you go through school and people not seeing as much value in it. But I think there's definitely just as much value in that, if not more so, at least to have the balance of the two. Yeah, I certainly think so. I mean, I think my music degrees have <laughs> best, like, have best place me. Like, at, at, when you try and get your first job, everybody's like, what, you've got a music degree, you're not going to be very bloody useful. But after <laughs> you've got your first one then everybody's fine with it and it's like well that's really cool that's going to be really useful in terms of being creative and thinking outside of the box and all of that and like confidence and expression do you feel mm-hmm. like that it kind of helps in those regards as well well I never had a confidence problem yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can tell that <laughs> um, though it's kind of interesting that you should bring out that the softer subjects if we can call them that yeah uh, uh, shunned because I remember late last year there was a guy who was duck, uh, no, who was Proxima Kessa, the kind of deputy ducks at his high school, and the the girl who actually got ducks focused on the artsy subjects, and he had focused on the if we can call them more technical subjects, mm. and so then he'd written this big open letter that got a lot of coverage about how she shouldn't have got it, and that. Uh, that the harder, more technical subjects should be favoured over those that are potentially a little more artsy. Ooh, did you, you did you see that? It was no, I didn't very see there. That. It was almost very scandalous. I can't believe Ooh. our dialogue didn't break it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we missed out on some scandalous subjects. I know. Gosh, got a, got all the likes on your Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think um, what Ken said as well. Um, even with I guess all this technology coming through and how we have less face to face interactions, we're talking over social media and like that all the time. Um, he said even with the likes of dance, like it's a face to face very kind of physical thing so if we're having this ongoing problem with um, people feeling less connected to one another and a bit lonely like dance can solve that for example at least like keep those um, skill levels up um, especially with kids going through high school who are like so into their technology now so yeah I guess it's seeing the value in those subjects as well. Mm -hmm. What would you say is the most surprising thing that Ken said on that call? Um what was the most surprising? He said, I mean, one of the interesting things he said, uh, I mean, to me, that what, everything he was saying seemed like quite a, a new way of looking at it. But he said, no, that like the innovators have been looking at it for like a hundred years, like in this way. They've been saying this all along. You've got the Montessori schools have been running a while and they've always kind of had an alternative way of looking at education. So the ideas have always been there and been advocated for, but I guess our society has changed so much in present day that we actually really need to take a focus now and look at this because otherwise it will become an ongoing problem. 
Well, even if you think about, and I can't believe I'm saying this in terms of innovation, but do you know Sir, Sir Bob Jones, the big property mm. investor from Wellington? Yeah. Um, Controversial figure. There, there, <laughs> there. Gosh, he says some interesting he, stuff. Yeah, in he the loves NBRA. to make headlines. Yep, he well, does. He, he, yeah, I, I kind of like reading some of his stuff I've read um, he, he's put out some books about like just his letters that he's written over the time to like letters to the editor where he just loves being a bit cheeky and controversial yeah. or a lot cheeky and a lot controversial yeah. but I must have his stuff in the NBR oh I'm going to put it out there it's not very like it's kind of like old man complaining yeah as opposed like to, old like, white funny man shouting at Cloud in the Simpsons you know oh yeah <laughs> I know what you mean yeah he's you know, like the walking talking real life version of that yeah because it's old stuff actually was quite funny and kind of witty and yeah, uh, I kind I'm, of appreciated it um, uh, oh, uh, I think you, did, you did put a, good a bit one. of thought into the satire and things like that but I, the most recent one with the the Māori um, Treaty of Waitangi oh that was just pretty poor taste like it didn't it wasn't really funny either so it no, didn't have much a, value yeah <laughs> and there's a point like sometimes the really controversial stuff is you know it, it does become funny but I think you go too far and it's a bit yeah. like oh we're talking about like we, we shouldn't really make fun of race relations in New Zealand no like, it's still it's still a touchy subject it's still stuff yeah. to be sorted out so we should probably well I mean even, even if it's not touchy I'm almost like oh there's a little bit off limits just pop that over there just, yeah you've got you all know, this other content to work with you know it's kind of like get back to he did a hilarious thing I, I thought it was funny um, back when Gareth Morgan was um, has also been on the show uh, it w- was entering into politics and he did this whole letter to the editor thing about how we should um, build a 5,000 metre tall statue to Gareth Morgan and his cats you know which was which was like and it was this whole thing that was actually really funny yeah um, and, and you could appreciate but yeah it does get a bit yeah old man shouting in the cloud and like trying to have a really hot take you know like trying to be the most controversial person out there to yeah. get the attention for it well but. now that's Matthew Houghton yeah that's true do you read his stuff I actually quite uh, like his stuff even though he is quite controversial I, I haven't read anything recently yeah. yeah gosh it's funny you get two people who are kind of moderately interested in journalism in a room and they want to talk about all the journalists and yeah. their like <laughs> individual writing styles and what they're talking about and everything like that it'd be just like if you've got a whole heap of podcasters in a room. Yeah. hopefully this isn't boring the listeners <laughs> all our journalism oh stop it well they would have turned <laughs> off it was boring you know we'll keep keeping on going <laughs> um, the other thing that I was really interested to talk to you about Ali and we talked about it last time we caught up was that a, a, a lot of uh, young entrepreneurs have all of these amazing ideas and they, they want to shout from the rooftops about it and, and get a little bit of engagement and I'm sure that most of them would love to approach kind of journalists but do it in the right way mm. and I just wanted to briefly ask you or have a conversation about how um, what is the right way to approach a journalist when you've got a good story um well, PR people are probably going to hate me for this, but I think the best way to approach, particularly when you're a startup or an entrepreneur, is just to come directly to us with a little, I guess, summary of what your company is, what your great idea is, your interesting points, um, and just be real and human about it. Because even though we're a bibli- bibli- business publication, I'm always interested in the human story behind mm-hmm. it. So I don't really like care so much for the technical side of it. I want to know how the idea all began and what were the challenges you faced along the way and why you think this idea stands out in the marketplace. Um, so I'm interested in all those points and sometimes we get press releases come through that are really condensed down and kind of sanitized of the interesting 
points, you know, and that doesn't really grab my attention. So I really love a personal approach and we can kind of, I guess if you're not that media savvy, we can kind of work through you with you on the different points that are actually newsworthy and would be of interest to our readers. But yeah, it's just all about the approach and we're time constrained as well. We work in pretty small teams. So just being direct and being um, dependable, <laughs> available at the right times and making it easier for us, that all helps. That's interesting because what would you define is newsworthy and not like what is news and what is Ooh. not news, would you say? <laughs> That's a very <laughs> long discussion we could get into. I guess... I mean, well, primarily our focus is innovation. So we love people that are thinking a bit differently or doing things a bit differently, um, solving a problem. I guess it all comes back to, as well, um, the kind of changing tide on um, how there's kind of a rise in business for good and businesses with purpose, and they're no longer serving um, <clears throat> the reason of just making money. Like they have a, a social good behind it. They're doing something almost like a social enterprise is becoming the norm. So, I mean, that's really interesting to cover because that's a rising trend we're seeing as well. Um, you no longer just should be making money. You should be thinking about how your business can better the world as well because that's what's really resonating with people. That's interesting. I, I find social business so interesting in New Zealand because there's no kind of structure behind it. No. Uh, you know, and I'm going a little bit off topic, but um, I've been getting really into the Institute of Directors recently, and specifically talking about not-for-profits, which is a massive part of my background. Um, yeah. And with the rise of social business, we've got a structure for for-profit businesses, which we have the company structure, and then we have a structure for not-for-profits, which are usually either societies yeah. or charitable trusts. But And I remember having this conversation with Adriana Christie from Pallet Kingdom, who's been an ideologue several yeah. times. Yeah. Um, she's a good old regular on there, about that there's no kind of structure to recognise that this is a different type of business and mm. to enshrine the kind of um, values that these companies have. And what I mean by that is if we were to take um, Eat My Lunch is just around the corner, um, mm. you know, they, they their commitment uh, is that when you buy a lunch from them, they will donate one to a, uh, a child in need at, at, at a kind of school. But there's nothing to enshrine that within a structure. It's kind of, you know... what to hold, if, Do you mean to hold them to account? To hold them to account. Yeah. Because what if, the, like, so they get the benefit of being able to say, well, we create this awesome social mm. good when you when you participate and become one of our customers. But there's no way to actually hold that to account in a kind of um, business structure. That's yeah. the kind of first point. The other, the second point that I'd make is that we um, we give benefits to charities and societies and that they don't have to pay tax and in return they create social good so because they because they go away and create social good that we all want then they don't they get all of these tax benefits and they're mm -hmm. able to apply for this funding and that funding that business doesn't that for-profit businesses don't have access to so yeah. should we afford some benefits to social businesses in recognition of the social good that they provide yeah, at least they're already rewarded by the market for that. Yeah, it's definitely breaking new ground. Like, I think there probably should be some sort of structure in place and also to help um, social enterprises getting off the ground because it is such new territory. Like, we did a story on Think Ladder, which is a 
basically trying to aut- automate um, cognitive behavioral therapy through an app. Okay. Um, so they're a social enterprise. So uh, you buy the app, um, but also they're going to be giving the app away to free for to um, organizations or schools as well. Um, but the founder, Mark, was saying, I mean, because it's so new and it doesn't follow the typical company structure, it's quite hard to find investors. They don't really know what channels to go down. Like it is a very mm-hmm. new area of business I guess. So is there still a profit motive within that organisation? Yeah so they'll still be making a profit but yeah they do have that social good factor at the same time that yeah. they're giving it away. Because the difference, it's almost quite black and white between companies and, and charitable trusts because a charitable trust and, and in a society, it doesn't have owners. The owners of a mm. charitable trust are its trustees but they're not meant to benefit Um in terms of reaping profits from the organisation because it's a charity. It's meant to be there for social good. You know, literally it's meant to be a not-for-profit. Yeah. Well, I guess it boils down to how genuine do you think their purpose is and whether they're fulfilling that. Um, You're talking about social business now. Yeah, yeah. So, like, Think Ladder, they're providing an app that helps with mental health to a lot of people and to people in need that might not be able Mm -hmm. to afford it as well. So if they're fulfilling that goal, then you can kind of look at it and say, well, fair enough, maybe they should be rewarded some benefits because they're not just focused on maybe what a business would focus sure. on. Yeah. Yeah, and then the opposite as well. It's almost like the carrot of let's give them some benefits because of the social good they provide, which is um, which permeates throughout society. Um, but as well, if they're not living up to that, yeah, and they're gain, if that, especially if you're getting marketing value out of it, yeah. and then um, and then you're not living up to the kind of almost social contracts that you've got going on there. I know, yeah, because you do see a lot of it, um, companies and maybe entrepreneurs on social media, I mean, they can go and say and claim anything and yeah. make wild claims and you kind of don't, I guess they're not really held to account. Yeah. I often see like sponsored posts pop up and someone saying I made a hundred grand in a week and find out how you can do it like me and that kind of stuff and you wonder how genuine that claim really is and if anyone's kind of debunking it you know yeah. are you seeing that one on like Facebook and stuff but yeah Facebook what is up with all of these types of I like entrepreneurs? I was just with a client the other day and all of these types of posts like constantly through like that yeah you know it's terrible and they look scammy so I'm like are they actually legitimate yeah, they, do look, like, they do look scammy I don't know what's going on <laughs> yeah though at the same time same Matthew Houdin who's a right wing columnist was um um, was here he'd probably say well businesses do social good anyway because they provide um, goods and services that people want and they mm-hmm. are willing to pay for it and there's good in that because if yeah. you weren't better off from that transaction you wouldn't buy whatever it was you were going to buy yeah but I think it's the way the world's kind of shifting I mean you look at what the government's doing they're no longer going to measure our success by just the GDP alone they're going to look at other um, initiatives like health and social goods so I think we're kind of moving into that space now where we're not measuring mm-hmm. measuring by monetary value so much anymore. Yeah. Though one might also argue, um, just arguing this whole point from seven <laughs> different points just of view. Just being advocate, yeah. Oh, oh well, I brought I brought up the bloody subject, <laughs> which I'm now getting you to argue. I'm going to argue against it. Um, that almost all businesses are so, will become social businesses because they've got to think about their values and, mm. and what they're doing. You know, even even Apple has their the highest accreditation in terms of 
of um, being environmentally friendly with all of the recycling programs and everything like that. Yeah. And so even really profitable businesses, or one might argue the most profitable businesses will be the ones that create social good and want want to kind of live out their values. Yeah, so I guess it's, it's what problems are going more untouched or more unsolved and how can companies get in there to help that or attach themselves to it and be an advocate for that. Mm-hmm. This has been pretty wide ranging. I know. We've talked about <laughs> everything from... Everything from everything to the uh, to whatever the opposite of everything is. Yeah, lots of tangents, but it's what is, fun. Oh, well, you know, it's always it's creative. Always the way. You know, isn't yeah. that what Kevin Robinson would want? It's creative. We're just going all yeah, over the place. We're, not, we're, we're, we're breaking all the rules. So oh, it's we're, fine. <laughs> we're expanding horizons. Was there was there anything else you wanted to mention? Anything at Idealog that's coming up that people should be aware of? Um. I guess maybe if you haven't heard of us before, I guess definitely check us out. Um, We're always open to growing our community. If you have an interest in design or tech or creative business, um, try find us on social media, try find a copy of the magazine and have a read because um, even though we may come across as a business magazine, I think we have appealed to a lot of different walks of life even a um, Les Mills instructor the other day was raving about how good the magazine was on social media and I was like huh I've never thought of you as like a reader but um, I'll keep that in mind so yeah just just give us a look really oh fantastic and what, what is the website so dialogue.co.nz yeah that's the one the, f- the best thing I love about it is that there is like dialogue is actually a word right like yeah idea L-O-G-U-E oh, <laughs> I know where you're going with e, this. right yeah and then the cutest thing is that on all your social media profile <laughs> pics you've, you've like created this log that yeah. is that has he's lots of mascot. ideas he's, he's the, the idea log he's literally so he's a cute log. little angry looking log and we, he is looking pretty angry he is front. a little bit angry I don't know why he should be happy and feeling innovative and I don't know you go tell <laughs> yeah. him after yeah. this you go tell him to stop like yelling at the clouds yeah <laughs> we'll create a new vision with a big smile on his face oh that'd be sweet yeah <laughs> oh nice look Ali I really appreciate you coming in today and chatting about everything in terms of innovation sharing about what's going out there and uh, we'll see you on the next one thank you so much for having me thank you for listening to the new zealand young professionals podcast as always i am your host ed mcknight and thank you so much for listening i really appreciate it now one of the things i'm really keen to do is hear your thoughts on the podcast and how we could make it even better so please flick me an email at ed at edmcknight.com or also feel free to check out our website it is nzyoungprofessionalspodcast.com or you can also check us out on facebook we are also nz young professionals podcast there as well Now, one of the things I know that I haven't mentioned for a little while is that NZ Young Professionals Podcast is also a member of Podcast New Zealand, or we're part of their stable. And what Podcast NZ is all about is getting more New Zealand podcast content on the airwaves. And so there are some other fantastic New Zealand-produced podcasts that you can go ahead and check out at podcast.nz. And there are two that I just want to quickly mention because I think they're absolutely fantastic for young professionals. The first is the NZ Wine Podcast. Now, this is all about that if you're a little bit into wine already and you already know the difference between your Syrahs and your Pinot Noirs, this is going to be great for you to take it to the next level. Or 
if you're just starting out, a little bit interested in wine, perhaps interested in uh, knowing a little bit more about it and impressing your friends, then the NZ Wine Podcast is definitely something you should check out. And the other one that has caught my interest recently is the NZ EV Podcast, Electric Vehicles. Now, I know that a lot of young professionals are really, really interested in the environment and making sure that we're making uh, best use of our resources. And so the NZ Electric Vehicles or EV Podcast is going to be a really great one to listen in so you can get a bit of a sense about what's happening in the world of electric vehicles. Until next time, I am your host, Ed McKnight, and thank you so much for listening to the NZ Young Professionals Podcast. The New Zealand Young Professionals Podcast, hosted by Ed McKnight and brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand.